Welcome to the Tales from Travellers podcast, a show that aims to share the unique experiences of expats, travellers and those who've chosen to make a life abroad. Through our guests' unique experiences, we'll explore the challenges and rewards of adjusting to a new culture, making new connections, pursuing a career or even raising a family in a different part of the world. Whether you're a seasoned traveller or new to the expat lifestyle, this podcast could be an insightful tool or just a fun piece to distract you while you're making your journey. In today's episode, I'm joined by an old friend and fellow traveller who went out with me to Wenzhou, become an expat teacher and kind of experience the joys of rural life, but also stayed a lot longer and then moved on to a career in full-time teaching. So today I'm joined by Patrick, or as we like to call you, Paddy, could you tell me whereabouts in the world are you right now? I'm currently working in Egypt in an international school in uh, Alexandria. One of the things that really made me want to reach out and have this kind of chat with you on the podcast is that out of all the kind of the group of ours that we went out to for China, it was a lot of our first times, a lot of our first years, and a a few members of the team have gone on to um, various different careers, roles, some have stayed in China as TEFL teachers, and I believe one or two of you have gone on to do PGCs and education as a full-time role. But before we dive heavily into where you're at now and the PGCE and becoming a teacher, let's start in chapter one. What brought about the urge to go to China and become a TEFL teacher? How did that end up on your lap? Uh, Well, I always had um, an underlying desire to work and live in a different country. Um, And I think especially one as exotic as China which we feel, you know, very little about in the Western world, right? Um, and just before I left, I recently did a, uh, a master's degree and I couldn't, I couldn't find the job that I wanted to do regarding that, which was renewable energy. Um, so, and then this, someone gave me a ring randomly and said, do you want to come and teach in China? And obviously, I just put the phone down straight away because, I mean, who wants to do that, right? But then after musing on it for a few months, I decided to uh, ring them back or contact them again and probably had the easiest job interview I've ever had. I don't know what yours was like, but it was about a half an hour chat on the phone. And then they were like, oh, yeah, you can come out. Yeah, my, mine was exactly the same. I think I exactly the same random person call me up and then yeah do you, have you thought about this uh yeah sure why not and then as you said easiest job interview um it, it seemed almost too easy mm. to the point that i thought there had to be a con well many of you did think it was a con didn't you i i don't think i ever thought it was a con but yeah i didn't think about kidding. we didn't we didn't have much contact with each other until just before we left did we can we set up a WhatsApp group? No, we. Um, I think we had to go through. We had to go through a whole sign-off. You know, GDPR. We had to go through and say, "I'll be happy to share our phone numbers and contact details," which hopefully we we all did, since we'll be spending a year together. But um, yeah, we. I think we had a WhatsApp group which we used for a, sporadically for about a week before we all met for the first time at the airport. Yeah, yeah, I remember. I do think it was one of the best decisions I've made, though, um, to do this, to do to go to China. Was teaching always an option for you, or was it something again that 
you wanted to go traveling and then this opportunity as a TEFL teacher just happened to coincide. It was more about the traveling for me. I never wanted to be a teacher. I think that's how it starts for a lot of people, actually. <laughs> Obviously, the, the big thing you mentioned, you know, not we don't tend to know too much about, say, the, especially the rural side of China. But how did you initially find the culture shock? I know a lot of us experienced it in various different ways, obviously, besides the language barrier. But what was your first, you know, initial, you know, experience with culture shock and Wenzhou? Um, the rural side of China where we were in? Well, I think we were quite lucky in that we all, uh, a lot of us came out together. I think if, if there had been less of us or you came alone, it would be a lot more difficult to make that transition. Um, uh, but I did find, you know, the Chinese people to be very, very welcoming. Uh, so that was, uh, made it a lot easier. I mean, what, what else did you ask then? Again, what were the biggest challenges? Yes, yeah, so you've got obviously big, big challenges come with the culture shock. And mm-hmm. um, kind of a two part question on this one. What was kind of the, the first big hurdle that you remember overcoming? And part two of it, in advance of knowing there would be culture shock with China, did you do much prep before leaving? No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't even think I knew how to say ni hao before I went. <laughs> which is interesting um i have written down I, I did think of a few things there was three i think there's three things in particular which um are the big challenges when you go when i went to china which is so first one would probably be the food right and food is different all of so that's what something you always encounter as an expat i think is getting used to the food in your particular country or wherever you go i mean you obviously you do get a lot of american westernized food everywhere so you will always have that option but in general you need to get used to what they eat um so that would be one thing and i think it took me a long time really actually to get used to the food in china because it is so different in general um and it took me a few years before i started to love certain dishes I remember I didn't even start liking hot pot till uh, like a couple of months before I left because I went to Chengdu, which is one of the main uh, areas for many of the main uh, originators of the of the dish. And I really loved it there. Um, the second thing would be the language barrier in China um, because a lot of people do not speak English there. Um so I thought I think learning uh, some Mandarin is essential to get by. Um, so I got lessons with one of our colleagues, Matt, which was good. Very interesting man to do it with. Eventually learned a, a good level, a good look, basic conversational level of Mandarin, which was very useful to me especially considering I was there for four years. So it, it was a lot more useful to me than uh, to you, to Greg. But um, um, yeah, and it's essential for practical things. I mean, like getting getting things fixed, you know, like these things you wouldn't really think about. Um, like maybe you have a problem with your, your bike and you need to get it fixed, you know you need to just go to a local store and ask them and stuff like that, you know, 
So you don't want to be having to get help every time. You need to do something very basic like that, you know. So you mentioned about learning the, the language, experiencing the food. You also, obviously you were there for four years, um, Wenjo, and I believe you also went to, to teach in Ningbo. Mm-hmm. Ningbo. Mm-hmm. And um, obviously both times as a teacher, what was the um, what was the driving force behind moving from Wenjo to Ningbo? Was it purely just to experience more of China or is this when you started to want to have more of a challenge in your work travel life as well? More of a challenge? Uh, I wouldn't say it changed that much, to be honest. Uh, I was Obviously, I, I went there alone, like you say. Uh, I didn't really know anyone there before I went. Hmm. So I had to make new friends and all these kinds of things, uh, get used to the, the new city. But Ningbo was in general a, a nicer city than Wenzhou. So I find it a bit easier to settle in. And I didn't. I don't seem to have any problems finding new friends in new places. I had the obviously the same experience coming to Egypt here, uh, and it's usually pretty easy to find friends as an expat. You know, you there's a limited amount of you, so you sort of band together, and it's usually pretty easy to find people with who are like-minded and. You, know, you just hang out with the other teachers, so it's pretty easy. Um, what's not as easy is is really making friends with the locals. You know, um, it would take you yeah. it would take you time to find people who uh, local people who, who who have the same interests as you. I was going to say third third big challenge though as well would be related to that actually which is sort of penetrating the the culture of the country you're going to so uh this depends on your personality a bit i think because i think about uh some of our friends from before so i just mentioned matt right and we have another friend who we went out with called joe and they both um are now married have a well, actually, Matt, 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 not so much, right? Matt's back in England, isn't he? Is he still in England now? Richard's still out there. Richard, Richard's oh, married yeah. with a child, and Joe's also married in Japan. Yeah. So you think about those two, and I'm thinking like how I wonder how like involved in the in the culture they feel now. Because for me, I didn't. I really dislike the feeling of not being part of the general culture. You know, you think about things like reacting to news to trends to um cultural entertainment and you know how how important that is to us back in the uk i I think to someone like you as well it's very important you know um and i always thought that was something i really disliked is not feeling part of that and it's a very difficult barrier to overcome I think definitely. I mean, that, that's that's quite an interesting topic, and it's it's um again it's something I kind of I've I've touched upon with someone who's like went to Europe is that whole being an expat, being an alien, and you're missing out on what everyone else finds normal. Mm. And again, I think with with you and me, we were quite um quite pop culture, mm. quite pop culture geeks. We enjoyed watching our films, and I think even when it comes to play like China in particular, um, so many things are heavily regulated by the government. What what is allowed in 
what isn't even platforms down to WeChat, you know, whether or not they do it is how they um, keep an overview on everything and the people. Obviously, um, it, it is quite a, an interest. And everyone I've spoken to say something similar where it's like you come back after a year, you come back after two years and you feel so out of touch with something so simple as you notice a shop has just opened or something's closed down. After four years, I really felt like I was starting to feel detached from British culture, which I didn't like as well. And and there was also the sense um, yeah. that the things that the Chinese people were interested in were what, what we saw always just seemed a bit shallow. And <laughs> I don't know if you felt that way, but certain things like their social media interests... I guess we have the same, a lot of people have the same shallow interests here. But um, yeah, there was that feeling as well. And uh, just a bit uh, tacky. I don't know the worst word. This sounds a bit insulting to the Chinese, but they are, they are a sort of, they have this strange mix of the very old ancient culture of China, which is thousands of years old, and this new culture, which is very superficial and shallow. So, mm. yeah, there's that as well. I agree. When, when you look at, again, their main platform, WeChat, or even just down to the, the things around, everything is very kind of super. It's, it's almost what you probably call over here as people living through social media, very Instagrammable. Mm -hmm. But um, they do have this 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 very intriguing mix of the old and new when it comes to respecting elders how certain traditions are still upheld and practiced daily i mean like there was tea making classes that would happen alongside a um, computer class i think i'm certain there is um you know a lot of very cultured and intelligent uh people in china i remember i met them as well but uh yeah just uh, it's, it's sending same thing you'd find living in England as well. You you could walk down the street and see you know so many different people from so many different backgrounds and how they live. But I think in China and especially well, in in Wenzhou in particular, if you were to go to uh, like one of the malls versus just down the road, you've got one of their you know little um temples. You could find you know um, obviously the uh, Buddhist monks going about their weekend ritual. Then you walk down the road and you see a couple of, you know, teenagers um, literally just glued to their phone. So it's it's almost much more of a contrast than what you see back in England and the, and the UK. And, the, and they are extremely academic as well, aren't they? So yeah. you'd imagine them to be very smart, very, uh, very intellectual people, you know, and they are as well. When it comes to us doing the teaching out there, I was teaching in the primary school and you were teaching in the secondary school. Speaking again with, like, say, Steph, for example, who worked in the same um, in a year group down from me, um, we, we kind of found ourselves do, trying to be the best teachers we could be, but also finding ourselves a, a little bit more of a kind of glorified marketing tool and maybe, you know, the... The, the the lesser priority of the classes kind of under you know almost understandably were brought in short term contracts. Um, how did you find teaching in the secondary school? What what was your perception of being a, a teacher there? Still uh, very well. I felt I felt very well respected. I think in the school we were at together, I was still middle school. Um, 
so I was just like the bit of entertainment for the week, to be honest. That was very, very much uh, that kind of feeling. Um, but when I went to Ningbo, I felt like a proper teacher. You know, I was marking homework. I was giving exams. Um, and I was teaching proper classes. So that was a good evolution for me as a teacher. Um which made the next natural step for me to go go back and get proper teaching degree, PGC, uh, the the natural step for me. So that's that's what I did. What was the journey from obviously being a TEFL teacher to then deciding and applying for your PGCE? Well, I did teach. Uh, I was teaching some science and physics at the school in China. Already, so it was already uh, the TEFL angle was sort of going away, you know, because it was an international department yeah. of a school. Um, but yeah, I applied from China, which is they, which was actually a very fortunate time to do it because they said because of COVID they could do they did all their interviews online, whereas normally they would do them in person, and they would never be able to apply from a different country like I did. So I was actually very, very fortunate in the way it panned out and was able to get on the course at Bristol University, um, which is a which turned out to be an excellent place to do it, I think. With the PGC, um, correct me if I'm wrong, it's, it's a year-long course, isn't it? That's right, yes. Worked at two different schools in the UK yeah. during it. Yeah. And with with that obviously working back in the uk studying for your pgce did you think to yourself from then that you wanted to go abroad again or working and studying back in the uk did it make you think all right i'm going to apply for uk schools uh i i think i it was probably about this time last year that i decided i wanted to go abroad again um i don't think my experiences of the English schools. I didn't enjoy the atmosphere. And the I looked at my colleagues. I remember vividly looking at my colleagues and not feeling envy of their lives, basically. They just looked incredibly stressed. Um they all I guess they all had families as well, which sort of contributes to it. So they sort they never really got a break. You know, they would come into school stress and they would go home and it'd be quite stressful as well um so things like that i just yeah the the weather was difficult to adjust to i mean it's just it's just so dark in the uk so dark you know and it does affect me um and then then you had the uh, the general situation in the UK with the the bills just the, the idea of you wouldn't be making I wouldn't be making any money if it was there um, I don't think I'm making much money here either but the the cost of living is definitely far lower um, so I can go on holidays and trips and stuff like that you know quite easily here which is nice. I think I get more time. I get more time off here as well. All oh, right, okay. Because you're working in a in an English school, so it, it follows a 
British curriculum and and is it a similar timetable or do you work by kind of an Egyptian school standards? So um, it's a bit mixed. I think sometimes they have to follow the Egyptian opening times. Like they delayed the beginning of school, the opening of school by two weeks because the other ones hadn't opened. But that just means they ended up adding 15 minutes to the end of every day to make up for it, which is a bit annoying. Um, yeah. But we seem to have uh, slightly more holidays. I'm not sure why than a UK school. So I have an ex- so I have three weeks off at Easter rather than just two. And I have basically almost two months off in the summer. So rather than That's six nice. weeks, right? Which normally it's normally six weeks, I would say. So it's pretty good. Um, How did Egypt end up being the country that you want to stay in? How did you end up finding that job and choosing Egypt? Well, you can, you only need one website to find teacher jobs, which is TES, T-E-S. And they, they, you, everything's advertised on there, all jobs pretty much all across the world. Um, you, you need to be, I guess, properly qualified to apply for them. But um, yeah, you have a variety and you can tell if the job's going to be ECT friendly as well, which means is it going to be early career teacher friendly? Because when, uh, when you first qualify, you need to do two years of ECT, which is like what NQT used to be. Um, which unless you, yeah. unless you complete that, you don't get to keep your QTS, your qualified teaching status. So I'm still, I'm still, uh, so I'm about one year into that now almost. So you need to go to a school that will provide that service. Was, was Egypt just a, a, a job opening that came up that was ECT friendly yeah. or? Yeah. 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 So, you... uh, well, the main reason I guess is just, yeah, again, I think it's that exotic feeling which uh, appealed to me, I think. And yeah, just the idea of going to a diff- completely different culture, experiencing what it's like is uh, very interesting to me. You know, I think it's, I think it's interesting to anyone, but I think a lot of the people I told when I was going to Egypt these days for, you know, it was a bit of a wild decision, you know, I think a lot of people are scared to, go to places like this yeah it's been it's been really fun i think the weather has been great i think organizationally it's about where you expect it to be which is not great um but uh an economic the the economy here has gone uh, i mean it's bad everywhere isn't it but um it's gone particularly bad here uh so if you think about how much an english pound is worth here it's probably gone up by a third since I've been here. So from, I used to get 20 Egyptian pounds to one pound and now I get 30 something to one pound. So the inflation here is like huge. It's really bad. Um, but yeah, I, I think the opportunity here to, to travel is, is immense, right? I mean, I've already been to the pyramids, 
Um, I told you earlier, I'm going to go on a Nile cruise this week. And I've been to a place called Dahab near Sharm El Sheikh already, which is a nice like resort desert area. Um, so, and then it's easy to travel around in the region as well. I mean, I could go to various Middle Eastern countries, Turkey, places like this, if uh, quite easily if I wanted to. When you when you got the job for Egypt, obviously when we were going out to China, we had accommodation, we had phones, we had pretty much everything set up for us by the time we got out there. What was it like setting up for obviously a fully qualified teaching role? Did the school help you find accommodation or was that something, everything you had to sort out from you know, food, accommodation, phone, internet? Was that all in your hands or did you have a Linda? <laughs> uh, no, they sorted it all out for you, yeah. I, I unfortunately do not have a Linda though, oh. but um, yeah, you get a oh, that, that's, you get a HR that's person, true. yeah, for sure. Uh, ours was more like a cafe than a Linda, I would say, put a, so a bit more competent. Oh, right. So, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, again, that stuff gets sorted out for you. So I have. Uh, Quite quite a nice apartment. I mean, I, I really dislike the the decor of the the toilet and the kitchen, but apart from that, it's it's quite nice. Um, uh, yeah, phone, internet, those things get sorted out for you. That's something you you might want to consider when you're moving abroad. Internet is never as good as back home, so you might struggle with things like that. Online gaming can be quite difficult because they, they tend to block these things. So something to consider, I guess, if you really like doing that. But you can, you can, there's ways around it. There, there's always a way around it. And the thing that I think we all tended to love while we were in China was the, was the wonderful thing of a VPN. Yeah. Um, alongside that, I'm assuming a VPN is something that you, you heavily rely on, especially as a teacher, so that you can gain access to all the resources you could need. Are there are there any other tools or apps or resources that you found as a traveler over China and Egypt that are one hundred percent a necessity? Uh, I did. Yeah, let me think. Um, okay, yeah, I did think of some things. I I'd say certain apps. That you use in these countries so i find when i when i went to china and when i came here you know certain apps become essential like um the food delivery app whatever's most common there a translation app can be very helpful although i've not really used that here actually um uh, an amazon equivalent so in china it was taobao right um yeah. Then I would say sort of learning how to count and ask and say basic things, but I mean that's pretty obvious. I would say something something you want to do before you go. Oh, this is not related to skills, I guess, but is check check do your homework on the school and make sure it's not in a location which is so remote, because I think there are some in China, especially which are so remote and away from. 
a civilized, uh, a big city that they, you pretty much like a hermit equivalent, but, and you're just relying on whoever's at the school to be your friend. You know what I mean? So if you hear the people who stories like that anyway, you know, um, the one thing I think we all, when we went out to China is we, none of us really knew what was going on. It was almost an excuse for us to just go traveling. Everyone came out there with almost this. I want to learn the language. I want to pick up the skill. I want to do this. I want to do that. The, the, the work and the schooling was almost secondary. And it's then we kind of quickly realized, I think when we all got off the plane in Wenzhou and we were in the taxi ride for an hour, how far away and how rural um, our location was. And I think that's one thing that took us all by surprise, not just the fact how rural it was, but that sense of scope and size of China really, really hit everyone. You know, we were driving through two mountains to get to our apartment building. But um, it's also quite difficult to even find, with some schools that I've found, it's quite difficult to find schools that you'd be working at as a TEPL teacher online. When you were moving from Wenzhou to Ningbo, did you apply for schools in Ningbo based on just because of Ningbo? Or was there because there were job openings through a recruiter? Or did you use a website equivalent to TEZ? I used a recruiter, I believe, through WeChat. And again, my school there was probably even more remote than my one in Wenzhou. So, not our one in Wenzhou. So, but I really, I really liked that school. To be fair, so it wasn't a big deal, and it, and it sort of, it was sort of in the middle. So I had to have a, a bus journey to school, a quite lengthy bus journey to school in the mornings. Um, but I still lived in a in a part of the city which is on the outskirts of Ningbo. So, you know. It was actually more remote than in Wenzhou. Um, but um, it turned out okay in the end. It was fine. Um, and what, what about where you're at now? Are you are you in um, a bit more of a city kind of area or are you a bit more on the outskirts with some other expats? Yeah, I'm right right, right in the middle of... Oh. Is there... What, what is the what's the social life like? Obviously, you're going out there kind of initially we wanted to experience the culture, you wanted to explore, see the world. What is the um, what is the social kind of side of things like for you? It's uh, it's less exciting than you might imagine. I think the because of the reality. So one of the big things about coming to uh, Egypt or any Middle Eastern country is the relationship they have with alcohol, which is they don't have one. Um, um, that is a big, big, big culture shock for anyone coming from the UK. Just the the idea that you can't buy alcohol in every shop or every restaurant. Uh, here, you can only buy it in specific restaurants and specific uh, dedicated alcohol shops. So at first, I think it was a bit um, took a bit of getting used to for me, but now. Uh, I got used to it. I, I found enough places I know I can go to and have a drink. Um, we actually have a local here, like a local pub. But it's not a pub. It's a church. 
So the only place you can buy alcohol <laughs> around here is at the church because it's Christian. So that's really funny. Uh, but it's a lovely little area because they have this lovely little courtyard you can sit in and just buy, have drink your beer. So it's pretty good. Um, but yeah, I know enough restaurants, bars now. Um, and then some some of the young people uh, still will drink. So there's not they're not so devout here, I think, as some of the other Middle Eastern countries about not drinking. I think in places like Kuwait, uh you cannot even buy alcohol at all anyway you have to bring it in um or it's on the black market or something like that so i'm just glad i didn't go somewhere like that to be honest uh <laughs> so that yeah but, um wow. so the, the what the what tends yeah. to happen though is there's not so many places to go out uh, I think Cairo probably there's there's a lot more, but Alexandria is quite limited in what you can do and who you can see. So the 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 sort of nightlife and uh, things like that are a bit less exciting. Let's put it that way. Do you tend to find yourself going out and just kind of exploring on a um, on a bait on like, or have you just become so accustomed to where you are now that it just feels like you're in your local town? Mm. Hmm. I'd say the latter, only because yeah. it's very difficult to just walk around the city, and I think it's very difficult to walk around. Uh, like it's difficult to walk around Cairo as well. They're very, very busy, very car dominated, and their pavements and their infrastructure are just not suited for walking at all. They barely have any road crossings you can use. So you sort of have to play Frogger when you're crossing the road uh, to get in between the cars, <laughs> um, which is not that fun. But um, yeah, I and mean, you can imagine what they're driving. It's like, it's insane. Things like that. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm actually in probably the most wealthy area of the city at the moment. So you have a lot of like nice uh restaurants around here and uh western food um and it's all within about five minutes of my school as well so my my journey to school is only about five minute walk i think the only park in the city is here as well from what i can tell um so it's like <laughs> yeah it's not much there's not much need to leave this sort of local area most of the time Maybe to go go for a, a drink or something, you might just go somewhere else because there's not many bars here. But um, yeah, other expats and other teachers are they kind of in a? Do you find any of them are settling in for the long term, or do you find a lot of them are on say termly contracts, and people are here just to experience it, similar to you, or are there some expat fully qualified teachers who are like, no, Egypt's the Egypt's the goal. Mm. Have a lot of people settled down. Most most are on the termly contracts, like one one yearly contracts. Um, there are, but contrary to China, I think there are there are quite a few here who've been here a while and are very experienced, very good teachers. Uh, my 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 boss is a very good teacher. She's uh, head of science, you know, and she's 
extremely good, very experienced. Um, and then there's a couple of others at the school who are very experienced, which is a good thing to have, you know, because without them, you know, you feel like the school would fall apart. Um, uh, but yeah, on the, on the whole, mostly you, you get these sort of like, yeah, the mercenary type of teacher like me, I think, who are younger and <laughs> probably just, yeah, looking to travel and uh, experience different things. But um, are a lot are a lot of them from are a lot of them from England and like the UK or do you find quite international coming as well? Do you have many Americans and from mainland Europe coming over to teach there? Uh, here, here not particularly because it's a British school, so they they specifically target British teachers. Uh, I don't think there are many foreigners here at all. But in China, it was definitely a big mix, especially the, the, the other schools that I went to. I know ours, we just had us British people, but I think in general, they, 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 they target a mixture of people. Uh, I had a good American, really good American friend at the last school, um, a really good Irish friend. There was a Canadian there as well. Uh, so you do get that mixture. I knew Joel's girlfriend, South African, right? Mm. Um, so you do get a really good mix, yeah. actually. I think across the in different uh, in different schools across the world depends if it's sort of if it's called a British school. You generally you're gonna you're gonna find mainly British teachers, right? If it's called an American school, you'd probably mainly yeah. find American, but with the odd other one. But um, if it's more general, you get a mix. I find talking about kind of all these different schools and teaching from where you've been, you've worked in several schools, obviously studying for the PGC. So you get that, that taste of what it's like to work in a, in a, in a full teaching environment on a professional standard. Did you find any sort of, let's just say culture shock or career shock working in the, working in the school you're at now, as opposed to obviously the schools you worked at in England, did you find, were, were things so different that it was noticeable or did you just find yourself in a kind of that kind of autopilot of, of teaching? No, this school here, it feels very similar to working in a British school back home. The way things are done, they try to do it exactly the same way. Same rules, uh, same procedures, uh, you know, make sure you have uh, proper safeguarding, for example. Make sure you have proper behavior policies. It all feels very, very similar to back home, and they try to run it the same way. And so you don't you don't get such a shock with the the, the sort of way things are run. It's very familiar. Yeah. Um, it's only in China where it was quite different, wasn't it? It was more the Chinese system. It was the Chinese way of doing things, wasn't it? Really. Oh, definitely. Yeah. The, um, the, the way they was teaching there was a, a lot of, and they, they also kind of, I suppose, took a lot of influence or the, or the school we were in in Wenzhou took a bit of influence from the American education system and how they kind of laid out their day, the school, it was all quite influenced by the Americans, but, um, yeah, you find yourself kind of adapting to it. And I think you obviously, was it similar in Ningbo actually was, what kind of that was that? Um, Ningbo. Yeah, American influenced again. 
Um, but obviously, you would still get uh, the Chinese. Um, or what to say? Uh, not traditions, but the, for example, at lunchtime they would always have a nap, right? Or they'd have an extended lunch. Oh yeah. So these kind of customs um, yeah. would not be uh, interrupted for anything, which is a. Good, I used to love that though. Going to sleep at lunch, that's great. If you needed it, you know. Yeah, see, I, I remember my, my child kind of being so confused by by the napping and the sleeping, but I think once after six months being there, especially the heat when it got to the warmer months, you couldn't help but sleep because you were just so exhausted from the day and just sweating on, sweating your ass off all day. Mm. But having a nap was the only logical thing to do. Oh, I, I wish they introduced but... it back home, to be honest. It's good for you. I, I actually went. Give for, it time, they might. I went for a nap one time when I was in the British school and I got caught. And they were like, naughty, naughty. They're like, oh, if, I, if I got caught doing that, I would have been fired. And I was like, whatever, mate. So I was actually tired. You know? <laughs> what is the big deal? If you've got nothing to do and you're tired, why can't you just have a little nap on your desk? You know? I think, again, you, you pick up certain customs and certain elements of that, the culture that you tend to find really works. And you you almost, and I think we were doing the same. Like there are certain members of the group who were almost trying to kind of get that push and that influence of the Western kind of system and working ethics and almost trying to bring that across to the school we were in. But, you know, when some things work, some things work and you, you're, you can't understand why it's not accepted globally, but that's that's why we travel, I suppose. Mm. It was it was an adjustment period for me, I think, because because I just come back from China, I was used to having that nap, but now I would never think of doing it actually because I've not been doing it for so long. It's one of those things, you know, you, you do pick up mm. on the way things are done in that country, and then you have to adjust back to your country or. A different country you know so it's one of those things you know kind of speaking of the adjustment how you've come around where you're at now and you kind of put yourself down saying you're one of these mercenary te- teachers do are there any other countries that you're thinking about going is is egypt going to be a, a a bit longer do you think or could you find yourself moving a bit more around the middle east perhaps mainland europe to teach or even going f- further east again or do you think you might be a case of coming back UK side yeah I've been considering this quite heavily recently because I was um, supposed to resign with my school this week and I still haven't done so so I'm still very much on the fence at the moment I would prefer to stay just to I think teachers uh, one year is just not enough you know and it's a bit unfair on the children you know when you leave after one year, I think, you know, children really require consistency. So uh, it's better if I did stay. But saying that, there's kids here are extremely difficult to work with. It can be very rude, very disrespectful. I think it's cultural. I don't think it's particularly a school problem because, you know, uh, we, 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 constantly punish them but they just continue to be be this way 
And I think it is cultural, uh, just like, you know, the problems we have back home are cultural. But unlike back home, mm. if you're in a private school there, you will get uh, a majority hardworking students because there's a sort of competition culture, isn't there? But here, it doesn't seem to have that. It just seems to be, uh, you know, who's the who's cool. Um, we don't care about these things. They just don't have that academic sense to them. Anyway, so yeah, yeah I'm looking at uh, where else I could go. I I would. Um, I'm not crazy about going back to Asia, but it it, it is tempting as well. I think I would like to go somewhere in Europe, possibly somewhere else in Europe, maybe Spain or whatever. I I, I should I should start applying yeah. soon, so I'll see what comes up. You know, um, but you know, yeah, Southeast Asia is a possibility. I think Thailand or Vietnam or something. They generally seem to have a lot, a few jobs going, but like I said, they need to be suitable for ECTs. So. I need to take that into consideration. So that's where yeah. I'd be looking. I think I I, well, I wouldn't want to stay in the Middle East because I think, like I said, the 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 sort of culture of these kids I think is, I think it's normal around here, and um, it's not really to my tastes. I'd probably prefer to work in the UK, honestly. I think if you could get a nice school in the UK compared to working in the middle yeah it'd be preferable yeah the problem is obviously UK is very expensive so not well paying so but uh at least I'd be back with family I guess and I think that's always interesting but obviously you you, you say that you you quite enjoy traveling you've you've obviously been you worked in China for four years you're you know been in Egypt since September um, do do you during say like the winter break or even like the term breaks that you have in Egypt? Do you did you tend to find yourself wanting to go come home, or did you tend to want to take that time and just explore again and continue traveling? Uh, Christmas, I came home because uh, I think Christmas is great back home, so. Uh, I do still like uh, stay in contact with my family often. It's not like uh, I don't want to be near them or my friends back home. I do always enjoy seeing them and going back home. So it's not like that. It's just, uh, yeah, I think at Easter, Easter I've got a three-week period. Uh, I'm not going to go back then either. Um, I'm going to go traveling, yeah. So, yeah. Uh, Certain times, I'd probably like to go back. I think going back twice a year is enough. Do you still have a little checklist of places of the tourist, let's say the tourist traps of Egypt? Is there? Are you are you working your way through them, or uh, do you find yourself kind of settling in? As you mentioned, it's your local town now, but do do you tend to find much how some New Yorkers will, will you know tend to forget about the Statue of Liberty being such a tourist trap and quite a sight? Are you at that point now in Egypt and where you're living that what would astonish many tourists is just another thing for you? Or are you still kind of captivated by the that wanderlust vibe of being in Egypt? No, I still I'm still got the wanderlust. I think actually I only saw 
the main sites of Alexandria about three days ago. So it took me this long, I mean, six months, not six months, is it five months until I actually went to see the main tourist attractions here, which is interesting. Um, but I have seen, like, like I said, I went to the pyramids almost straight away. So something like that, which is so obvious, you know, you got to go straight away. But um, yeah, there's still a lot of places I would like to see here. There's a lot of stuff, good, great stuff in Egypt. Um, there's the white, white and black desert where you can go out um, very deep into the desert. It's like they've got these unique formations there. But I think also part of the attraction is you can you can see like a completely uh, light pollution free sky out there, which is apparently it's really really good. So I would like to go there. I would like to go to Siwa as well. Siwa is apparently one of the most beautiful places to go. A sort of a desert oasis city, uh, town. Sorry. Um, so I'd like to go there as well. Um, other than that, I've been, uh, I should be checking quite a few things off my list by then. Port Said, I think is very good as well, apparently. <laughs> so yeah, it's, uh, it's more of the wanderlust still for sure. Um, I think the same, yeah. the same thing in China, you know, um, I, I managed to see quite, quite a lot of China when I was there, but still there were a couple of things I never saw, you know, just before I left, even though I traveled the, the most of the places I wanted to see Northwest, West, South. So yeah, it's great. Yeah. The, the Wanderlust sites are fantastic, but um, I, th I think with a lot of those things, and especially for people who are looking to travel for their first time or even take a, a job abroad, um, would what moments from say china and obviously in egypt pushed you far out of your comfort zone would you say um pushed me out my comfort zone um i'm not sure in what way do you mean for, for one we when we all bought our e-bikes in china that was obviously quite a thing i've, I've never you know, I drive a car. I've never been on a, say, a, a, a motorized bike to the extent of that. So doing my first trip on a battery operated bike was, you know, might, might not seem so so drastic, but there's always that fear of running out of battery in the middle of nowhere, pushing your bike to the limits. But then with that, the nerve of going to um, a separate mall and maybe even ordering my first meal without anyone there to correct me if I'm wrong. So for me, the, the comfort zone that I kind of pushed myself out from was that, as you mentioned, that kind of hermitness. And once you realize that you can do things on your own, was probably that initial, that, that was the main comfort thing for me. I got out of that sense of having to rely, not rely, but having that comfort of someone else around. Mm. And I think a few of us kind of found that as well uh, in particular I know, I know prince he was always quite a fan of exploring and doing a lot of things so he jumped out of that really quick and when i was talking to steph it was even just down to the simple things of having you know the um wanting to buy certain foods that you wouldn't be comfortable doing yourself 
So did did you find anything that kind of pushed you out of that? It's al- almost finding that you're not just someone who lives in an apartment. You got co- so comfortable going out on your own. Did you have any of those experiences that once you conquered that fear? In China, you could handle yeah, it. I mean, uh, I remember, I remember asking Steph, "How do I, how do I order uh, some noodles?" You know, from the noodle man. Um, and that was like a couple of weeks. That was like a month after we'd been there. I mean, I still hadn't sort of like made that leap to just go and order some noodles from the noodle man downstairs. So, uh, yeah, it, it will take a while when you first get to these places to do, like you say, to get out of your comfort zone, I guess. But that's that's something that's interesting as well. I mean, you think when you go to these countries, you'll be out of your comfort zone all the time, don't you? I think people imagine it being like that. Mm. Whereas actually, your day-to-day life is not that uh, different, really, is it? You know, you go home and you watch Netflix and, you know, do these normal things still. You're not constantly, you know, in a foreign place uh, feeling worried or scared. Yeah, you know? So if anyone's worried about, you know, those yeah, kind of things, don't don't worry about it, you know. Um, most of the time you can be quite comfortable still and life doesn't seem that different or that exciting. It's just occasionally, um, well, you, you notice it, uh, you probably notice it. The only difference is sort of like uh, maybe during your trip to school, you'll commute, right? You'll probably be like, oh, I'm in a different country. You kind of remember, you know. Um, or then, yeah. or then on the weekends, maybe when you go out and it just, to be honest, it just makes everything a little bit more interesting, really, you know, it makes your life a bit more interesting. The fact that you are somewhere where, you know, people speak a different language or you don't know quite what's going to happen or what the, what the customs are going to be about what you're doing. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think for me i've always had other people around as well still i think well there's always been other foreigners around i could do things with and there's always people always want to hang out so Mm. it's it's fine i think i know of certain people who for example went to china almost completely alone as a foreigner and were forced to learn the language and communicate with them because they had no one else to speak to like i know of people like that yeah, which I think is a different level of getting out of your comfort zone. I don't think I've ever been on that level, so nothing really stands out to me. Uh, yeah, so I've got um, a, a few a few last questions. These these ones are a bit more kind of subtle, so don't worry too much about them. But um, these are these are always quite interesting ones that I tend that when I was asking people who haven't been traveling. These are just a few things that come to their mind. So, in the initial piece, uh, we'll go through them. What advice would you give young Patrick who hasn't been out traveling for the first time? What advice would you give him? Uh, I don't think so, really. I mean, uh, I think I was fine. <laughs> I think I did the right thing. I mean, um, yeah, I mean, as advice to 
to people going i mean make sure you know you try and uh live live life to the fullest you know go on trips go on nights out meet meet people meet women or men if that's you're interested in you know um visit the restaurants see the sites see the countryside do all these things you know um make sure you live it to the fullest um if you're if you're so inclined, get married to a local woman, have a child with them, and completely change your life. <laughs> well, we we know a few who are, who are who are going through down that wonderful journey. Was there an item that you took with you that you just could not live without? I think um, noise cancelling headphones are pretty good for your plane rides. <laughs> I think that's a pretty good one. Um, no. nothing in particular, really. I mean, I'm, I'm, I like playing on uh, consoles and stuff, don't I? So I bought, I bought a Nintendo Switch mm. soon after I went to China because I didn't have anything else to play. So I usually like to have that just to relax with. Um, a lot of these countries don't have uh, central heating. So you might want to invest in a heater. I've got one on right now. Um, <laughs> yeah, I can't think of much else. I I think just you 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 usually you have to uh, buy you have to buy like everything you need once you get there, don't you? Like all these essential domestic goods. Yeah, you, you, you need to survive. You do end up kind of realizing all the things you've forgotten. Yeah, it's just pretty. It's pretty. Yeah, yeah. Having to the, buy the basic food. comforts and luxuries. Do you have a so- uh, a song on your on your playlist that always plays when you're when you're out traveling? Mm, no, nothing in particular. I would say <laughs> uh, I usually listen to new newish music or playlists. I have certain playlists, so it would probably be. But I like to make new playlists all the time, so it's never the same thing. New science, new sounds, new playlist. I like that. Mm-hmm. You're, you're going on a cruise while you're out on half term. You're, you're kind of thinking about potentially going to Europe. Do you have any countries that are next on your list that you want to, you know, maybe just ex- explore, experience, maybe even move to? But where's next on the uh, on the world map? Well, I want to go and uh, visit the US again at some point. Certainly not work there though. The USA. And any any particular part of it, or are you just looking to go across? I'd like to go across. That would be really good, but um, that would be a big trip. Um, I do have a friend in New York at the moment. Yeah. I'd like to go and see. Um, but I've never been to Western US either, so I'd like to go there. It's California and all that. Yeah. Um, but that's just a, for much. Well, that, that, that would always be nice. Good weather for you. Yeah, it'd just be from a travel point of view. I wouldn't want to work in the US. Sounds like a bloody nightmare. Uh, no, I, I can't blame you. I can't imagine anything like like that. I'd like to do myself. Hmm. But so I've got um, just just one last question for you, Patrick, and I really appreciate your time. Um. Would you say, as a teacher, now that you've got your PGCE, 
would you say that taking a TEFL job and working abroad, not so much just traveling it, would you say that's a good life decision that kind of will influence next steps in life? I think it was definitely a good decision. I think it like, depends what you want in your life. If you want a stable um, home life, it's not a good option, you know, because you're going to be moving about a lot. Um, I, I would like to settle down at some point. So I need to find a, a job that I like, a place that I can stay for an extended period. I would prefer that. But um, you also need to find uh, someone to spend that time with so or to settle down with. So you know, that needs to happen first. Um, but as a, as a young person, I think it's a great choice because it's, it's, it gives you such incredible opportunities to travel and to meet new people. You really open your mind to new cultures, uh, new languages. Uh, new ways of thinking um, and it's it's been uh, amazing for me so I don't regret decision at all. I 100% agree I mean I, I obviously haven't lived the expat life as long as you but it's definitely something that it helps a lot and especially if you're kind of in a in maybe as a lot of us lot who went out in a position where you kind of didn't know what was coming naturally in in your life you didn't know where which direction you're heading it's almost a great place to kind of gather your thoughts and kind of take stock of everything, figure out what you want out of life and which and which way you want to go down. And for a lot of the group that we went out with, people have obviously gone on to travel more. They come back to the UK to work. Obviously, as we mentioned, um, a few members of the group um, have now got married. Um, they've had children and they're living out there. And that's, that's where they, they live now. And some are, are still exploring China, um, various parts of it, and kind of just enjoying the, the city life. And although it might not be a long-term commitment for them, it, it's almost just become a home for them. So, yeah, it's definitely an experience someone should undertake. I, I find it interesting that you're, you're still attached to the, the expat life in some way by making this podcast, you know. Um, but I know po- podcasting is your interest, but... Um... Is uh, yeah. Is this is this uh, something you'd like to yeah see develop into more your podcasting? Um, potentially, yeah. I mean, the 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 whole driving force the behind next, this uh, really was, I, I the next Lex Friedman. You are be the next Joe Rogan. I do love traveling. I love experiencing cultures. I love learning about different countries and languages. I think it's so fascinating and with some of the jobs that I've had since working in China, I've always had that kind of connection with kind of various locations, schools and cultures and people. And there's, there's, it's always interesting talking about it, but even like I've got members of the, of my family who are living, you know, in, in, you know, different countries all over the world. So there's always that connection with um, kind of not, not, not staying at the nest, I suppose. And even when people look at their own family, you find out that, People who might think they're all, all English, they're, they're not. I mean, I've got um, doing some of those DNA tests and even speaking to immediate family. I've got, you know, um, I suppose family that can be traced back to Denmark, even just like a couple of generations ago. I've got families coming from Eastern Europe and it's it's quite fascinating. And even 
you know, I, I think that's it. Might not be cooked into everyone's like blood and gene, but yeah, I think the expat life is exciting. And if if you want to experience it, go for it. And as you said, when you're young, do it. And I think that this podcast is almost my um, my way of living living, you know, vicariously through the people I talk yeah. to as well. I'm 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 sampling your essence of the wanderlust. Again, Patrick, I'd like to say thank you so much for coming coming on board and sharing your story. And it, it's been re- really interesting. And it's been great catching up with you again. So I just want to say thank you and, well, yep. happy travels with everything. No problem. It's been a pleasure, Greg. Thank you for having me on. Thank you for joining us today. And if you enjoyed this episode, please consider subscribing to the Tales from Travelers podcast to stay up to date on past and future episodes. I'm always looking to share new stories from expats and repats from all over the world. So please reach out if you'd like to share your story. You never know, your story could be the one that helps someone make that life-changing choice. You can find us on Instagram at Tales from Travellers. I'd love to hear your story, and more importantly, I'd love to share it with the world. I look forward to hearing from you, but thanks again for joining me. And until next time, happy travels.